0: Well, good morning, everybody. Welcome to church. Great to see all of you who are here live, and welcome those who are watching online. Um, I hope you guys had a, a very Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year. Did you guys have a pretty restful time? Awesome. I know it was a good week for us. We, we definitely needed a little bit of uh, rest in the Vias family. Um, I don't normally do this, but we, we had a chance, actually, um, after Christmas to go see a movie. Um, which was really, really excellent. So if you haven't had a chance yet, um, it's called uh, American Underdog. And if you like football, it's the Kurt Warner story, and it was fabulous. So uh, I'll give you that recommendation. That's what I got to do during this week. Um, But for those of you who are wondering, we're in part two of our new series for 2022 called New Year. And last week, Pastor TJ kind of kicked us off in this series by looking at the account in Scripture of middle school age Jesus at the temple. And he unpacked this powerful verse of scripture found in Luke 2.52 that says this, and Jesus grew in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and man. And as we learned last week, as children of God, as sons and daughters of the king of the universe, all of us are also called to grow in our walk and relationship with God. That all of us All of us who consider ourselves to be followers of Jesus are called to continue to change and continue to take next steps. Now, as we jump into part two of the series today, I want to switch gears just a little bit with you guys. And I want to talk about how amazing the creation of you, a human being, really is. Did you know that even in this technological age of now 2022... There is no technology in existence today that can exactly replicate what the human brain can do. You are incredibly remarkable. You are incredibly unique as a creation. And for those of us who consider ourselves to be followers of Jesus, we believe what Jesus taught, and we believe what his apostles taught, that none of us were created by accident. In fact, we believe as Christians that you were created on purpose, with a purpose, and for a purpose in this world. That you are uniquely created by God. And the truly amazing fact in science and biology back this up, is that in the history of the world, there has never been someone exactly like you. It's never happened, and there never will be in the history of the world someone exactly like you. Nearly eight billion people on planet Earth, and only one, you. And so as we continue this series today, my hope and prayer is that you would start to grasp this incredible, incredible spiritual truth. And here's what it is, that you were uniquely created by God to honor God, that you were uniquely created by God to honor God. And so to unpack this thought today, I want to do something that we don't normally do around here. And and if it's your first time here, uh, first time joining us, this isn't something that we always do all the time, but I'm actually going to read to you today an entire chapter from the Bible. And and again, if it's your first time here, first time back in a while, I think this is really going to be a perfect Sunday for you because the story we're going to look at today comes from the book of Nehemiah. And, And Nehemiah was an actual person who lived in history, who did something that was so extraordinary that it actually became part of the Jewish scriptures, which became our Old Testament in the Bible. And if you're not a Bible person or you're not into kind of the whole religion thing, the other reason this is a fascinating story is because there's not really any big spectacular miracles in this story. The story of Nehemiah is really a story about hard work and discipline and vision so it's really a powerful story that sets us up for this big and challenging question that I'm gonna throw at you guys at the end of the service today. Now, the first chapter of the story of Nehemiah takes place right after what's called in history as the Jewish exile. And so I'll give you a quick little history lesson before we dive into this passage of scripture. But the Jewish exile occurred around 600 BC when the Babylonians invaded Judah. And if you know a little bit of Bible history, there was the nation of Israel. You know, God had called his people to the promised land, to Israel. And then after three kings, okay, we had King Saul, who was kind of crazy King Saul. Then King David, who was the greatest king that Israel ever had. And then his son Solomon, who was considered the wisest person to ever live. After these three kings, Israel was fractured into two kingdoms. And so you have the the bottom half... Um, which is was you know you have Israel and then you have Judah these two separate kingdoms the northern kingdom was Israel the southern kingdom was Judah and in 600 BC the Babylonians invade Judah and if you remember the story of Shadrach Meshach and Abednego and the fiery furnace if you remember the Bible story growing up of Daniel and the lion's den this is the time where that takes place where they were taken from Jerusalem they were imprisoned they were taken to work for King Nebuchadnezzar in Babylon. And so for about 70 years, the nation of Israel stopped. It shut down. I mean, the temple worship shut down. It went out of business because they were conquered by the Babylonians and they were scattered across the Babylonian empire. So 70 years go by and then the Persians come in and they conquer the Babylonians. And so the Persian leader wonders, why do we have all these Jewish people scattered all over the place around here. And he realizes what happens, and so he made a proclamation saying, hey, if the Babylonians took you out of your homeland, go home, we want everybody to go back home. So everybody is finally able, if they wanted to, to migrate back to their nation of origin. And ultimately, hundreds of thousands of Jews began to migrate back to Israel to try to restart the economy, to try to get the temple going again, but it wasn't going well because they had been gone for too long. And now other people had moved into that region of the world. And so about 90 more years passed by, and this is where we began the story of Nehemiah. Nehemiah was a Jewish man, and we don't know, historically, we don't know if he'd ever even seen Jerusalem before because he had grown up in exile. But when we meet Nehemiah, he is now having a pretty important job. He is is working as the cupbearer for the King Artaxerxes of Persia, the most powerful person in the world at the time. And he begins to journal his story, which is now found in our Bible, in the book of Nehemiah. And so what I wanna do is I wanna read the first chapter from Nehemiah, and then I'm gonna again ask you a really big question, and that's where we're gonna end today. So here we go. Are you guys ready? If you have your Bibles just turn into Nehemiah, we're going to start in chapter 1, verse 1, go through this first chapter. Here's what it says. The words of Nehemiah, son of, of Hakala, in the month of Kislev in the 20th year, while I was in the citadel of Susa. So, Nehemiah finds himself in the citadel of Susa, and Susa was essentially the primary city. It was the capital city of the Persian Empire. It was, you know, their version of Washington, D.C. for us. Verse 2, Hanani, and I, one of my brothers, came from Judah with some other men, and I questioned them about the Jewish remnant that had survived the exile, and also about Jerusalem. Now remember, all all these people are starting to migrate back to their homeland, their their land of origin, after being in exile for over 100 years. And so he's asking his brother, hey, how is this going? Because remember, these are families, again, that have been displaced. So these guys come to see Nehemiah, and Nehemiah, who's maybe never been to Jerusalem in his entire life, he's like, how's it going back in our homeland? How are things happening there, brother? How are things going? And here's what they told him in verse three. They said to me, those who survived the exile and are back in the province are in great trouble and disgrace. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down and the gates have been burned with fire, which basically means terrible Nehemiah. Things are just horrible. We have no defense anymore. Our walls are down. The gates are burned down. We're in no man's land. There are all these other cities and people who have moved into the area and they're attacking us and we don't have any defense. Things are not good. And then we see Nehemiah's reaction in this next very powerful statement, verse 4. When I heard these things, I sat down and what church? Wept. For some days I mourned and fasted and prayed before the God. Of heaven, In other words, for Nehemiah, this wasn't just news. Oh, that's interesting, brother. That's, that's too bad. So sad. I'll pray for you. But it doesn't really impact or matter in my life because, you know, I work for the king. <laughs> I work for the most powerful man in the world. I'm raising my family in the most powerful, wealthy, superpower country in the world right now. So I'm really sorry about Jerusalem, but good luck with, good luck with that. It doesn't really affect my life. no. That wasn't Nehemiah's response at all. He was heartbroken. He was devastated. He wept and he mourned and he fasted and he prayed to God for days. It broke his heart. And then he journaled his prayer, verse five. Then I said, Lord, the God of heaven, the great and awesome God who keeps his covenant of love with those who love him and keep his commandments. Let your ear be attentive and your eyes open to hear the prayer your servant is praying before you, day and night, for your servants, for the people of Israel. He, he, he's fallen down to his knees, he's heartbroken, and he prays this heartfelt prayer to God. Nehemiah is praying and he's reminding God. He's saying, he's saying okay God, I want you to know I was raised to believe in you. And this is personal for me. I believe that you're a good God. I believe that you're an all powerful God, that you're a good God and you're a big God and you're a God who keeps his promises. And he uses this word, this word covenant, because God had established a covenant with Israel. And you might remember this from our Christmas series. We talked a little bit about this, that he had promised this guy named Abraham a couple promises. He told him that his name would be famous. He told him that he would have more descendants than the stars in the sky, and they would become a great nation, and that they would, in fact, one day be a blessing to the entire world. And remember, God kept all those promises, right? All of us in here have probably heard of Father Abraham before. All of us you know, know of the nation of Israel. We've heard of Israel before. And Jesus came from the lineage of Abraham To bless the world. Nehemiah didn't know that part yet. That was going to be down the road. But Nehemiah says, God, I believe in you. I believe you're a good God. I believe you're a big God. I believe you're a promise keeper. So please hear my prayer. And then he does something interesting. He says this. He says, I confess the sins we Israelites, including myself, and my father's family have committed against you. We have acted very wickedly towards you. We have not obeyed the commands, the decrees and laws that you gave your servant, Moses. So he's, he's confessing. He's basically saying, God, we deserve everything we've gotten. We deserve to be thrown out of, of Jerusalem, our promised land, and put into exile. We've not obeyed the commands that you gave Moses. You guys might remember the Ten Commandments. God rescued the Israelites, the Hebrew slaves out of Egypt, and if you remember Moses said, "Let my people go, and, and the Red Sea parted, and God said, "You are my people, and I am your god i 'm going to rescue you i 'm going to save you and God did that, and after he had kept his promise and saved them, then he through Moses gave them a blueprint for how to live a good and god centered life. He gave the Ten Commandments, but over the centuries, the people began to drift and they drifted away from God, and they rebelled, and they chased after All these false idols, like money and power, false gods. And now their homeland was in shambles. Now they had been spread out and scattered in exile. And so Nehemiah confesses his sins and the sins of his people, and he repents before God. Then he continues in verse 8, Remember the instruction you gave your servant Moses saying, if you're unfaithful, I will scatter you among the nations, which is exactly what happened. That's why Nehemiah is writing this in the citadel of Susa, not in Jerusalem. But then he remembers something else about God. He remembers God's grace and God's forgiveness and the hope that God offers. Verse 9, he says, but God, you also said, but if you return to me and obey my commands... Then even in, your, even in your exiled people, even if you're in the farthest horizon, I will gather them from there and bring them to the place I have chosen as the dwelling for my name. They are your servants and your people who you redeemed by your great strength and your mighty hand. Nehemiah is speaking the same words that God spoke to Moses and he's saying, God, you remember that whole Moses thing? And the plagues in Egypt and and all that stuff. I mean, God, you went through great, great trouble to redeem your people from Egypt. But now we're not in Egypt. We rebelled against you. We're scattered all over the world. But once again, God, would you be willing, as you once said you were, would you be willing to offer us forgiveness and grace and redeem us and save us again? Would you be willing to bring your people back together? by your great strength and your mighty hand. God, please hear my desperate prayer. And then he asked for something very specific in verse 11. He said, Lord, let your ear be attentive to the prayer of this your servant and to the prayer of your servants who delight in revering your name. Give your servant success today by granting him favor in the presence of this man. I was cupbearer to the king. He says, give your servant success in the presence of this man. Which man? This is so awesome. "Give Give your servant success today. Grant him favor in the presence of this man. Because see, here's the deal. Nehemiah is about to do something dangerous. He's about to do something a little crazy. Nehemiah, who's got it made, who's got a great job working for the king, who's living life in the king's palace. He's got everything he wants. He's got everything he needs for him and his family. He's in daily contact with the most powerful person on the planet, the king of Persia. But now, he's about to go before King Artaxerxes and say, King, I would like to quit my job. I I wanna leave this cushy job you've given me and leave my family and I'd like to travel to this rat hole of a place called Jerusalem and help my people try to rebuild their broken city. And that was crazy. Because first off, you didn't ask the king for favors. He's the king. He's the one who does all the asking. So this was risky. He could be thrown into the dungeon. He could even lose his life If he offends the king, you don't wanna work for me anymore? Oh, let me tell you what I'm gonna do for you. And even if the king said yes, it would be a huge sacrifice for Nehemiah. He would have to leave everything and there would be uncertainty in his life. And it would be a nearly impossible task waiting for him in Jerusalem. But Nehemiah's heart was broken. And so for him, this wasn't about personal desire or ambition or power. This was a calling from God. So in this new year, here's my question for all of you. And I don't expect you to have the answer today, by the way. You might have to process this throughout this entire month and throughout this entire series. And it's okay if you don't have an answer today. But here's the question, are you guys ready? Here it is. What breaks your heart? What breaks your heart? If you're truly a creation of God, if your life is not some cosmic accident, but in fact as we said earlier, that your body and life is created by God, for God, to honor God in this world, then what breaks your heart? When you look at your life, when you look at your family, when you look at your neighborhood, when you look at your community, your nation, your church, this world, what breaks your heart. And I don't know what that is for you, but what captures your emotions and your passion? What breaks your heart? And when you think about it, your mind just goes there. And maybe you try not to think about it because you tell yourself, like we all do, I can't really do anything about that. I don't know anybody. I don't have the resources. I'm too young. I'm too old. Life is too busy. But please, God, if you could do something about that, would you do something about that? See, here's the remarkable truth. If you really want to find purpose in your life in this new year, it really begins by recognizing that you were created by God for God to honor God. And it begins by asking this question, what breaks your heart? And then actually doing something about it to make the world a better place. And here's something I know, because it's true of all of us, that the people we admire most in life, the people we tell our kids about, the people that have inspired us to greatness, that those people are not usually the people that have a perfect physique and 2% body fat, right? Or that made a ton of money and are super powerful. I mean, those are cool things. And some of us need to do some of those things. We need to, some of us need to get out of debt this year. Some of us need to lose weight. Okay, a lot of us need to lose weight, me included, okay? But listen, that's not what really inspires us, is it? What inspires you, what inspires me, the people we're so grateful for are the people who've made this world a better place. The people who've made maybe our world a better place. Now, if you're joining us today and you're not a Christian or not a religious person, the awesome thing is, about this biblical teaching is that this really applies to all of us, whether you're a Christian or not. In fact, some of the most extraordinary changes that have happened in the world have happened from people who didn't necessarily commit to a religious belief. There's all kinds of people that have made all kinds of extraordinary changes in the world just because something broke their heart and they decided to do something about it. They acted on it. But if you're a Christian, let me be more specific because that can mean a lot of different things to a lot of different people. But if you're here and you consider yourself to be a follower of Jesus, not perfect, none of us are perfect, but to the best of your ability, you've committed to making Jesus first in your life, then your life should be all about change. Because people who actively follow Jesus grow and change and take next steps and make things better. They just do. You can't actively follow Jesus Christ and not change and not make the lives of people around you better. That's why we always say here that change people change. It's one of our core values as a church. You can't actively follow Jesus and not make the place where you live and the place where you work and the school that you attend and the people you hang out with better. It's impossible, because of what Jesus taught, and because of what Jesus modeled. I mean, Jesus came along and said, if you want God's attention, then pay attention to how you treat other people. Because every person you're ever eyeball to eyeball with matters to God. They're made in the image of God. They're a unique creation, and they have value, so they should matter to you. If people matter to God, they should matter to you. And it's not about religion, and it's not just about going to church on Sunday and going through some ritual to earn God's favor, because God is interested in how you treat other people. The love for God is equated in Scripture to a love for others. And so consequently, when you read the Bible, when you follow Jesus through the gospels. When you read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and those gospel accounts of who Jesus was and his life, everywhere he went, people wound up better off. He didn't just feel compassion for people. He acted compassionately. Without any question, Jesus communicated that everybody he met had value to God. That was an, an enormous shift in the thinking of the culture of the first century. That men, women, even children had inherent value to God. Free people, slaves, they both had equal value to God according to Jesus. Tax collectors, Samaritans, Gentiles, non-Jewish people, drunks, prostitutes, lepers. The religious leaders were in fact shocked by this. They were shocked by the way Jesus interacted with these people and treated these people. You know, these were the people the religious people wanted nothing to do with, but they mattered to Jesus. Jesus served them. He flipped the entire order of things in the way the religious leaders looked at the culture. Jesus scrambled it all up because Jesus believed that every single person you come in contact with matters to God. And so consequently, throughout the generations, Christian men and Christian women have done things in the name of Jesus to help people in this world. They've built hospitals, not just for Christian people, but for all people. They've built orphanages, not just for Christian children, but for all children. They've built shelters, not just for homeless Christians, but for all people who are homeless. We do mission trips and prison ministry, and food and clothing ministries, not to take care of just Christian people, but to help all people in need. Did you know that followers of Jesus were at the core of the abolitionist movement that ended slavery in America? That Jesus followers were at the forefront of the civil rights movement? That Jesus followers are at the forefront of the right for life movement, and standing against the exploitation of women and children in opposition to human trafficking? there's always Jesus followers who say, wait a minute, I can't treat people like they're less because God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whosoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. And this is why when something breaks our heart about the needs of humanity, when something breaks our heart, about human rights, when something breaks our heart about what's happening to families or children, it's God stirring in our heart to say, I feel what you feel. So I'll ask the question again. What breaks your heart? What breaks your heart? Because just like yours, Nehemiah's broken heart was by divine design. But what Nehemiah didn't know was that when God stirred his heart, to go back to Jerusalem and start to rebuild the gate and rebuild the wall. It was part of a a sequence of events that started before him and would continue on long after him. He had no idea what hung in the balance of his decision to give in to his broken heart. See, about 14 years before Nehemiah's heart was stirred by God, God stirred another man's heart named Ezra. And he said, go back and teach the people the law and start operating the temple again. And then he stirred Nehemiah's heart to say, go back and get them organized and rebuild the wall and provide defense and security for the nation of Israel again. And through all of that, they had no idea that all of that was in preparation for what was going to happen 450 years later when the Son of God, Jesus, would walk into that very city to the temple that he had visited as a middle school child and he would declare who he truly was, that he was the Messiah, the Son of God. God sent his Son into the world to do for us what we could not do for ourselves because of our sin. Our sin broke his heart. So he did something about it. And Nehemiah's big decision to embrace his broken heart was part of what God was up to the whole time, and he had absolutely no idea. Now, here's what some of you may need to hear today, and, and maybe this is something that all of us need to hear, but you have no idea what hangs in the balance of your decision to embrace a burden that God has placed in your heart. You have no idea. Now, the leadership of your church, they understand this personally. And I understand this personally. Because about three years ago, my heart was broken. And my wife's heart was broken. And the leadership team of this church, their hearts were broken over the fact that these surrounding communities all around us and this state of Maine was filled with hundreds of thousands of people who were disconnected from God and didn't know of the love of Jesus. So we decided that God was calling us to create a place where we could invite our non-Christian friends and family to come and to connect with Jesus, to connect with the God who uniquely created them, who loves them, and who has a great plan for their life. A place where kids and students would wake up and wanna go. And so we decided we were gonna to try to do something a little different. And over the last three years, we've done some things right. And we've probably done a few things wrong. But we're desperately trying as a church to be obedient to God and the passion that He has placed in our hearts. So here we are. And now every time there's a baptism, and every time a person walks through these doors and encounters God and decides to follow Jesus, We look at each other in awe and amazement and wonder. You have no idea what hangs in the balance. And let me tell you something. For for some of you, your future is more impactful than you could ever imagine. But in order to experience it, you're going to have to face up to what breaks your heart. And you're going to have to take some risks. And you're going to have to step out of your comfort zone. And you're gonna to have to do some things that might make people think you're a little bit strange and a little bit crazy. I mean, people thought I was crazy for moving to Maine from a place where I grew up and lived for 40 years of my life. But you have no idea what hangs in the balance of your decision to trust and follow God. So what breaks your heart? And this doesn't mean you have to quit your job and go across the ocean, but it might require you to cross the street and meet your neighbor or get involved and partner with a place like this, your local church. Would God call some of you to partner here with us that your heart would break so much for your family and friends, your coworkers and classmates that you know who need Jesus, that you would join us with the mission and vision of our church, to make incredible experiences that light the way to a growing relationship with Jesus, to truly make this a place where change takes place. If you really wanna grow in your relationship with God in this new year, if you really want 2022 to be the greatest year of spiritual growth in your life, then it all starts with the understanding that God created you on purpose, with a purpose for his glory, to do something to make this world or to make someone's world a better place. So what breaks your heart? That's your homework this week. That's a question that I want you to wrestle with. And if you're not sure right now, that's okay. But this is how extraordinary things happen. This is how the world has changed. And this is how you set yourself up to wake up a year from now or five years from now or 20 years from now and look back on an extraordinary life, a life where you were in sync with what God created you and called you to be, to make a difference in this world for his glory. Can we pray together this morning? With heads bowed, eyes closed. Heavenly Father, God, we thank you so much today for this incredible story that you've given us in scripture that's lasted for thousands of years, the true story of Nehemiah, a man who was willing to get out of his comfort zone, to take a risk because something broke his heart and he wanted to make a difference in this world for you. He was willing to to leave all the comforts to obey a calling. Father, I, I pray that that inspires some men, some women, some teenagers in here today. God, that we would be willing, maybe over the next month, to ask this question, and to examine ourselves, to ask what breaks my heart. And that God, you would give us the courage to actually take some action and do something about it. God, help us to do that today. God, I also wanna pray for maybe the person in here who's still not sure what they believe about God, about Jesus. Heavenly Father, I'm so thankful that something broke your heart, that you looked and you saw that our sins separated us from you, a holy, perfect, righteous God. And that you weren't gonna let that stand. And so you made a way, you built a bridge for us to reconnect in a personal relationship with you. You loved us so much that you sent your son Jesus to teach us to live a perfect life and to willingly lay down his life on the cross to pay the price for our sins once and for all. God, thank you for loving us that much. For the person here today, the person maybe watching online, who would say, God, if if that's true, if that's real, that's the love I need in my life. That's the kind of God I can follow. I need Jesus. If that's you today, I just wanna lead you in a prayer and there's nothing magical about this at all. It's simply a way to convey right now what God is speaking in your mind and in your heart. Maybe your heart feels like it's beating out of your chest right now. That's because you were created on purpose, with a purpose, for a purpose. And one of the greatest purposes you were created for was to have a relationship with God, a love relationship with Him that'll go on into eternity, and so if you're ready to receive that, embrace that today, through the Son of God, through Jesus Christ, I invite you to pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for loving me like that. Thank you for meeting me exactly where I am. God, I'm not perfect. I've messed up a lot in my life, but today, I want to move my faith, transfer my faith off of myself and what I've done onto my Savior Jesus and what he's done for me. I believe that Jesus died for me to pay the price for all my sins. And I believe he's the son of God, that he rose again. God, I want to turn from my old life and today I want to step into a brand new life with you. Thank you again for loving me. Help me to love you day by day, step by step, for the rest of my life. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. Church, can we celebrate decisions made today? As we continue to reflect and respond in what God is speaking to us right now, let's stand and let's, let's sing along with the worship team. The Every single storm of life. Praise God. Amen. Heavenly Father, I pray blessings upon these, your people. Lord, thank you for the story again of Nehemiah. We pray for wisdom. Help us to know what to do with what we've heard. And give us the courage to take action, to do something about it. My prayer is that this week, all of us would ask ourselves this critical question. What breaks and that we would realize we are created on purpose, with a purpose, for a purpose in this life. That we are created by God to honor God with our lives, to make a difference in this world. God, I just pray that you would reveal that to some people this week in this month, Lord God. And that we would start to take steps in this new year to seek the calling, the passion that you have placed in our hearts. To make a difference for you, for your glory, for your kingdom. We love you, and we praise all these things today. In Jesus' name, we pray. Amen. God bless you guys. Have an awesome week. Can't wait to see you back next week as we continue in part three of New Year.